All right, guys, on today's episode of the Trade Busters podcast, it's going to be our first ever repeat guest. Of course, today I have on Ron Bertino. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, please, you should go back and listen to episode um, 53. Um, when I first had Ron on, Ron is, of course, the uh, he runs Trading Dominion. And he has a couple courses. The last episode featured the Portfolio Margin Trading Tactics course, PMTT. And um, I'm a member of that course in the community. But always been a big supporter of Ron. Um, and today I wanted to talk about another course of his, which is the portfolio investing course. Um, we'll get into a second what that is. Um, but I think one reason I wanted to get into this, uh, it's it's been kind of timely because as you guys who have been following me know, you know, the latest season of the podcast and kind of the focus has been on not so much focus on specifically option strategies like data engine and the, you know, the Trinity system and all that, but kind of pulling back and looking at more from a portfolio construction point of view and kind of a holistic combining things, um, learning to look at different measures of risk. Um, and so that's actually uh, basically kind of the focus of, you know, um, the name kind of says, oh, portfolio investing. And there's some other ideas in there, you know, and we can let Ron get into that. Um, but yeah, uh, before we get started, Ron, uh, thank you for coming back on Trade Busters. No, thanks for having me. It's always good uh, to be here. Yeah. Um, so first of all, why don't we? Why don't you give us the the high level? You know, kind of what is the portfolio investing course? What is it, and why did you originally decide to make it? Sure. Um, I, I guess as traders, we're always looking for edges, right? And it's sometimes tough to know what is real and what isn't. And you know, a lot of trial and error goes in, and uh, money won, money lost, and then eventually, kind of get a feel for. What really is an edge and what isn't. Um, now that said, if you take a step back, I think the most obvious edge that's out there is that over the long term, stocks and bonds go up. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure you can make it simpler than that. And I mean more than inflation, right? So I'm not just saying, okay, yes, due to inflation, everything's going to increase. No, I'm saying that it's there's more alpha, there's more edge there, and so it's an obvious one to tap into, but. You, you know, while you want to tap into it, you want to do more than just, for example, you know, buy spy, right? Because if you go in there and and you buy spy, which is you know large cap stocks, you might think, okay, well, I am diversified because the spy is essentially the five hundred top uh, companies that are out there, <clears throat> and there's also, uh, which we can talk about later on, there's actually a, a built-in momentum uh, filter, if you want to put, call it that. Um, within that because the the non-performance get dropped off and they get replaced by the best right and so that's kind of constantly going so it's actually a, a momentum strategy if you think about it it's not just a static set of 500 but the fact that you're invested in 500 means that you've got what most people think is diversification but if you look back through history um you know there are multiple times where spy has come down well over 40 percent you know we've had 50 percent drawdowns 55 percent drawdowns and if you go way back uh to the 1930 crash um it actually went down over 80 percent that's eight zero wow. <laughs> okay um so you you know most people get freaked out once you see a drawdown of about 20 percent or so i found and uh so therefore you know trying to be okay with a 40 or 50 percent drawdown is just not reality. So that's just way too volatile for pretty much almost everybody, I'd say. So, you know, while you want to be invested in the market um, and in bonds uh, to a degree as well, then you just want to do so intelligently, right? You want to do so with something that is not going to keep you up at night. Um, and in order to do that, you want the drawdowns to be hopefully contained to within about 20% or less. And if you can do that and still have a nice compound annual growth rate, then, you know, uh, you're, and it's not just, you know, buy and hold forever kind of thing uh, with, I guess we can talk about the difference between what I call strategic and tactical, but, um, you know, with a, a good chunk of your portfolio, you're essentially doing, say, 20 minutes of work per month just to, you know, rotate certain stocks in and out or whatever that might be based on your systems. And with 20 minutes of work, once per month, um, you're now doing that essentially for the long term, and this is what's going to build your wealth. You know, and you know one of the things that I think is important as well is that even if you consider yourself an active trader, um, most likely you will have your favorite uh, 
style, you know, or things that you tend to do, be it maybe it's advanced option trading, or maybe it's, you know, algorithmic trading, or maybe it's day trading. You love kind of the the excitement of, you know, watching the stuff really closely, whatever. That's all fine. But the reality is that you still also need to manage your long-term wealth, right? You, you need to look at your retirement accounts um, and not just for you, that might be for maybe family members as well, that um, instead of them giving their money away through to, you know, these guys are financial advisors or whatever that honestly know, you know, very little. And from a performance perspective, will not be able to outperform in general anyway, will not be able to outperform even very, very simplistic things that you can do yourself. Why the hell do you want to pay them, you know, an extra 2% management fees or something like that, right? Like save that amount of money and let that build your wealth and even just 2%, but compounded over say 20 years, that that's a big deal. That's a big difference, you know? Uh, and, but it's not just the 2%, it's a 2% saving, but it's also the fact that you're uh, very likely going to be outperforming them on a overall perspective, risk adjusted um, return basis. So it will be a significant, you know, differential. And this is something that in my opinion, I know it sounds, I guess, self-serving, but um, in my opinion, this is something that every single not just trader, but every person really should learn. You know, it should be part of, ideally, this is the kind of stuff that I'd love to see taught in schools. You know, I mean, how to build wealth, right? Um, and it's it's not that, you know, it's not rocket science, um, but it is an, a very important thing to learn. So not just for traders, but for people in general. You know, even if you're not trading, if you're doing usual nine to five job, you still have a retirement account, right? You still want to build wealth long-term. Um, so that was basically the the main core concept, right? Of wanting to teach this, what I believe to be, you know, very important um, knowledge that everyone really should have. And uh, and you can then manage your own um, portfolio yourself with very little effort. Again, 20, 20 minutes a month basically is all you need. And that's it. You know, you, you can essentially go from there. So um, so that, that's a couple of things. Uh, another thing is that I've got... You know the advanced option course, but uh, you know the <laughs> uh, entry price for that is you know some people may think that it's it's a bit you know high or whatever. It's not once you get in and and you learn the stuff. But I also wanted to have something that was uh, you know more affordable, um, such that people could you know jump in without too much of a worry of uh, the investment they're making to to learn, and then they get themselves exposed through to me if they haven't done any of my stuff before, and they can see hopefully you know, the quality difference between how I teach versus what other people do. Um, so, you know, I wanted to keep it open. And also it's a course where um, it is really applicable to, like I said, everybody. And what I mean by that is that I'm not expecting you to have a whole bunch of knowledge. You don't need to know anything about anything in terms of technical analysis or maths or anything like that. Basically, if you're a total newbie, you can do the course. But also if you're even an experienced trader, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, potentially in this course that you may not know, uh, or there could well be certain things that you've heard of or even are familiar with, but you don't actually have a good understanding of how it works. You know, something like say a sharp ratio, right? Um, you may know what it is, and you you have an understanding of the fact that it's a risk-adjusted return, but how is that thing deconstructed? Do you have a mental picture in your head of exactly? how that thing is built, you know, um, stuff like that. So that's uh, primarily the the main things. And I guess one of the things we can talk about later is that it can be a nice complement to option traders. Yeah. Um, do no. offsetting cash and margin, which we can kind of talk about later. No, definitely. And a lot of things that I agree with there, and like, like I alluded to in the intro, I think there was a lot of parallels with you know, you mentioned PMTT is kind of focused on options and option strategies, you know, just like yeah. my last season was focused on my system, but really that pivot to something that I think if we pull back again, not, you know, like I said, everyone can make use of this, not just option traders, not just day traders, but if you have, you know, equity or some portfolio or some core stuff you want to manage, you know, either separately from, or in addition to the option stuff. And just to be clear, you know, with, with options, the PMTP is the options course, but with PI, you know, portfolio investing, there, there's no options, right? This is, 
you know, Correct. you're talking about from from the ground up, the nuts and bolts of like literally taking you people through first of like how do you measure risk, right? We'll take we'll talk about a, a few of the measures of risk. You know, how's performance measured? Like how how do you analyze data? How do you back test, right? Even at that point, there's no talk about stocks or options or, or any kind of trading or anything. It's kind of towards the middle that you introduce some basic concepts of like asset allocation and certain things that you can do in in addition to to buy and hold and. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in terms of in terms of the underlyings themselves, the course this course anyway is primarily focused on exchange traded funds, right? ETFs, and sure. there's various reasons for that, right? But one of them is the fact, just like I said before, that the fact that you're trading one thing, which is nice and simple, like say supply, but you're essentially trading 500 things, right? It's 500 tickers within that one ETF, so that does give you a degree of diversification. But like I said before, it's not enough, right? Because spy is just too volatile for most people, so you need to you know combine multiple ETFs together in a smart way in order to have a good risk-adjusted return that's with something that is not that volatile and won't keep you up at night when you get a drawdown. And I think one thing that's important, um, you know, with the options stuff, people like to focus on like very kind of at the strategic level or the trade level, you know, people talk about win rate or like risk-reward mm -hmm. ratio or like the return on capital, return on margin, all this stuff. But I don't know if um, if you're only trading one strategy, those metrics, in a sense, kind of uh, coalesce with your portfolio level you know, performance. But if you're trading multiple strategies, or if, like you say, you have some underlying core portfolio, or you're just kind of managing different accounts, like you need to take a step back and look at kind of portfolio level performance, right? And measuring, um, like I said, performance rather than just like PNL. And I think that's something important that not people always focus on because when they first get into trading, they just want to make money, right? And they just yeah. want to be like, okay, here, I'm going to make, you know, some dreams of being like, you know, full-time trader, you know, make six, seven figures or whatever. But like, I mean, that's fine. But if you're talk talking about kind of long-term stance and somebody who, you know, isn't necessarily trying to be a day trader or go full-time, but still wants to have self-directed investing, but to manage a portfolio, like you have to have some way of kind of measure like, uh, give yourself a yardstick of like how is your you know portfolio doing um and i think there's the importance of like the the metrics you know and and let's talk about like what is like one typical way of measure measuring risk and maybe some misconceptions about it i think you talk about this you know in the course yeah yeah look we can get into into specifics but i'd like to just kind of start off with i guess the light bulb moment for me when i kind of it when when it really clicked um because you know we hear about certain things that are common, right? You know, you, you hear about diversification is important, fine. You know, um, having uncorrelated returns are good, fine. But it didn't kind of click, uh, at least in my head, until I internalized it with an example that was the thing that kind of made the light bulb go off in my head. So if you don't mind, let me kind of just touch mm -hmm. on that first and then we can get sure. into the specifics. So, um. Now I'm going to mention a couple of numbers here, but hopefully it's nothing too too difficult. So we've got an example here where I've got strategy one. That strategy one, and forget about what the strategy is. You know, it could be an algo, it could be, you know, a set of ETFs that you're investing in. Doesn't matter. But just let's just think of it as a strategy, and it's giving you a say a 10% compound annual growth rate. Okay, and then I've got strategy two, that that's giving me a 15% compound annual growth rate. So I've got these two things, and now you say, all right, I, let's diversify across these two things. So now I'm going to take half of my capital and put it into strategy one. And remember, strategy one is giving me a 10% compound annual growth rate, and strategy two was giving me a 15% compound annual growth rate. So I'm putting 50% of my capital into one, 50% of my capital into two. Right Now, the thing that should hopefully make sense and is intuitive to think about is that if you now say, all right, so what should your expected compound annual growth rate be. Of course, we'd never know what the future is going to hold, but let's pretend that you know the the next year is going to give us the same level of performance as you know what we've just seen. Then if strategy one was giving me 10% and strategy two was giving me 15%, and I now allocate half of my capital to each, my actual resulting compound annual growth rate is actually just going to be the average of those two things. Right. right, so it's it's the mid level between ten and fifteen, which is twelve point five. Okay, okay, so that's going to be that, and everyone can kind of hopefully agree that yes, that's logical, makes sense. You know, get on with it because you know this is very very simple. All right, here's the thing though. 
same strategies. Now, if we instead of looking at what our performance is, now let's look at what the risk is, right? So now if we basically say strategy one now has a max drawdown of 10% and strategy two has a max drawdown of 15% now. So now we're talking max drawdowns instead of compound annual growth rate, but I'm keeping the numbers the same to kind of hopefully make this a little uh, intuitive in terms of the, the, the light bulb moment that I'm, that I'm referring to, right? right? So most people, just like before, would think logically, if I split my capital between the two strategies, if strategy one is max drawdown of 10 and, max, and strategy two has max drawdown of 15, my max drawdown when I split my capital is simply going to be the average of the two. It should be 12.5%. Okay. The thing is, if these returns are uncorrelated to one another and without getting into the details of what, you know, really what that does, you know, uncorrelated means, but really just think about if the returns are uncorrelated, it basically means they're not both drawing, drawing down by the same amount at the same time. Okay. So when strategy one is drawing down, then hopefully strategy two might be making money. So therefore, when you're splitting your capital between those two, those two things basically balance out. So you actually have no drawdown because one is in a loss, one's in a profit right. and they balance out, right? So that's more or less what I'm talking about with uncorrelated returns. But if they are uncorrelated, then your uh, max drawdown is not going to be 12.5. It is not the average. And here, here's the thing that will hopefully blow some of your minds. And that is that it could actually be 8%. Right. right. And what I mean by that is that 8% is less of a drawdown than the minimum between those two strategies. One was 10 and one was 15. And right. I'm telling you that by splitting your capital, you could actually bring your max drawdown down to 8%, which is less than either one of those two original strategies. That is the beauty of this thing, right? Because now you're in a situation that by splitting up your capital between these two strategies, now your compound on your growth rate is simply just the average of what the two strategies are. Honestly, but it might even be higher. It might not be meaningfully, but I was going to say, if you cut the drawdown and you have more of the capital in play, it, you could even potentially boost the Kager. I mean, it's, it, it's it situational. Won't, yeah, yeah it I'm making the assumption that you're not implementing any leverage. Sure. Okay, mm -hmm. so if you're just using, if you're splitting the the same cash, and I'm being literal with cash, they had no leverage, mm -hmm. then yeah, your your uh, your compound annual growth rate will be twelve point five percent, right? And you can you can validate that mathematically just even through the back test. Um, so it is the average, but your risk is not the average of the two. Your risk could actually be even less than either one of the two individual strategies. So that is the key. And when I kind of you know, spent a little bit of time trying to internalize that. That's where I go, oh crap, that, that, that is the golden goose kind of thing. You know, that is the key thing. And the key, remember, is that it's not just the fact that you're diversifying. You need to diversify into strategies that have uncorrelated returns. That's the key. And if you do that, that gives you the golden goose. You know, what's right? interesting is you actually, you know, you say you weren't going to address the risk thing yet, but your answer kind of did, right? Drawdown is kind of one measure of risk that some people don't care to look at, right? They just focus on yes. the strategy. You know, I, I risk two to make one, whatever. But like drawdown to portfolio, that's something that you should pay attention to. And I think um, the example you gave with the two you know, non-correlated strategies, um, you, I think you have the video. People know about the the Ray Dalio, the Holy, um, the Holy Grove video. I think you have a that linked in the course actually but the idea of like i do, I do. Um, yeah. the you know, thing multiple... is he's talking at a, at a fairly high level you know right. it's like this is like a, a very simplistic way of breaking down that even his his uh presentation yeah you know um but yes when, once you've internalized what I, the example that i just gave if you then yeah go to the sales page then you can watch ray dalio who's you know obviously super rich very very famous guy very successful uh trader talking about this he calls this the holy grail right he believes this is the key right to investing and i agree i think it it really is um and but that's the key it's got to be not just diversifying it's got to be diversifying with uncorrelated returns right so that is one of the things that you really should be looking at when you're looking to put things together into a big super portfolio if you want to call it that right you don't just want to choose strategies that you so called like right you really want to look at correlations and there's very various other things that you can do in order to kind of see if these things are um you know correlated or not and you want to put together the ones that are most uncorrelated, of course, that still have good returns. Um, but the correlation is really quite an important thing. And, um, you know, uh, people talk about measuring performance and sometimes the uh, 
the risk side gets ignored. But you know, there, there's certain metrics that kind of combine the two, right? We talk about not yes. just absolute returns, but risk adjusted, like you no know, sharp ratio, it's taking account the standard deviation, right? And there's like yes. the Mar ratio, you know, Kager over max drawdown. Um yeah. and why do you think that's important? Why do you think sometimes without knowing these, and you mentioned in the course, like you know, data can fool you, right? So yeah. what what's the importance of like understanding the inner workings, I guess, of these metrics? Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the things is that a lot of the things that are common that people uh, focus on are actually not very good, unfortunately. So, and what I mean by that is that, you know, a, a lot of people do focus on things like Max Schroeder. And even I mentioned it just in the prior example, right? It's it's not something you can necessarily ignore, but it's also not something that you really should put that much focus on. And, and the reason that I say that and to me, this was kind of like another light bulb moment when I came across this originally as well. And that is that when you're looking at sample size, right? Um, hopefully everybody knows that more data points is a good thing. Right? So the, the, you know, if you've got a back test and you've got a back test that it's only gone through, say, three trades, you're not going to then, you know, bet your entire, you know, uh, wealth. On, onto that particular system because it's only three trades. We we have no idea if this thing is just pure luck or if it actually is robust, right? So whereas if I show you a trade or a system that has, you know, 3,000 back tests uh, of, of actual data points of results, then that should provide far more uh, power to your confidence, at least, in that this thing is likely robust. So, you know, more data points is a good thing. Uh, and I think everybody would find that obvious. But most people don't think of that now when you're looking at something like a risk measure, because if you think about what max drawdown is, you might say, well, yes, I, I'm looking across, let's even if you've got a backtest of say 10 years, right? So you've got a backtest of 10 years and now you're looking for the max drawdown. And you, let's pretend the max drawdown is, I don't know, 20%. But in reality, what is that measure? It's a measure of one data point across the entire sample. Right. But in terms of the risk measure, it's a single data point. Right. It's one day where it, the thing got down to 20%. So, what I mean by that is that if you now think of two algos or two different strategies, one strategy had one so called bad drawdown where it, where it pushed all the way down to 20%. But other than that, every single pullback was contained to, let's say, 5%. So, think of that as strategy one. Strategy two also had a single day that went down to say 20% max drawdown. But if you look at every other data point for every other drawdown, every other drawdown was down at say 18%. Which one of the two would you want to trade? Well, that should be a no brainer. It should be number one, right? right? It's far less volatile. So, but you would have had no idea if your only measure of risk is to look at max drawdown, right? Because it's just a single data point and that's key. So when you're looking at max drawdown, it's fine. Uh, to look at that, but don't put that much focus into it because you have to keep remind, reminding yourself that it's just one data point. Okay. And the same thing goes with people that focus on, you know, the CalMAR or the MAR ratio, which is just the compounding your growth rate divided by the max drawdown for the same reason. It's a single data point. Okay. So there are far better measures of risk than max drawdown. So um, if you look at something like Sharpe ratio, that is vastly superior um, because every single data point within the entire data sample is looked at when you're looking at standard deviation. Okay. Now, one of the things that's a little strange about this is that standard deviation doesn't care about direction. So standard deviation is essentially looking at the, think of it in simple terms, it's essentially looking at the spread from the mean. Okay, so from the spread, imagine that you've got all of these, you know, dots. So you've got the y-axis, which represents your um, your return, right, for every single data point, and then the x-axis is just time. Okay, so as time goes by, you're going to the right, and then you're you're putting little dots on on the on the graph. Okay, so uh, picture that in your head. Now, you then essentially take the average of all of those y-axis data points. And then what you're you're really doing when you're looking at variance and standard deviation is that you're then essentially trying to measure the distance from that average line, which is a horizontal line, all right? That's roughly going to be about halfway, right? Between all of those dots that you've got on the screen. And you're looking at the, the distance, essentially, from that 
mean to each and every single one of those data points. Okay, and there's some fancy formulas that go in there because you're actually looking at the squared distance and then you're taking the square root and dividing by the by the number of, of dots or whatever. But the key is that that's essentially what, what it's doing. So when you're looking at standard deviation, it's looking for the distance between the mean and each one of the dots, but for every single one of the dots. And it also doesn't give a damn about direction, doesn't care if it's down or up. And that's important too, right? Because if you're looking at being long something. So if you're looking to buy SPY or buy, you know, TLT or something, okay? And you're then trying to reference a standard deviation, the standard deviation is also going to consider it to be so-called risky. So in other words, it's going to be a higher standard deviation number if you have upside deviations that are big. So in other words, if the distance from the mean to the data point, so in other words, if you get a return of let's be ridiculous, let's say 30% return for one particular year, that's a huge up move, okay? But that's actually going to increase your standard deviation because there's a big distance from the mean to this data point now, especially if they're very far away. Um, so if you're long something, you might say, hmm, well, I actually want big moves to the upside. I don't consider that to be risk, right? What I do consider to be risk is if it moves down because I'm it's against my direction. If I'm long, then I care about the stuff that goes down. I don't really care about the stuff that goes up, right? I don't consider that to be so-called risky, but it is risky if it moves down. So for that, there's a separate measure called Sortino ratio. And Sortino ratio is very similar to standard deviation, but what it's looking at is what exactly what I just said, where it's looking at just downside deviation being the so-called risk factor, not upside deviation. But the second that you've done that, what have you done? You have just cut out roughly half of every single data point that you're looking at. But you're doing so with uh, more understanding of how it's applicable to your trading system. Let me give you, give you an example. If you were trading delta neutral option trading, where you're, trying, you're basically saying, I don't care what, what direction it's moving, right? You, you're keeping your delta relatively flat, hoping to make money from theta. But the reality is that if it moves too much in either direction, then you're going to run into problems. Let's say you're doing an iron condor or something like that. Okay. So do you now care if it moves up by a lot? Yes, you do. Do you care if it moves down by a lot? Yes, you do. You ideally want it to, 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 for it to stay contained and not move much in either direction. So in that instance, for that trading style, using something like a sharp ratio, it makes more sense than using something like Sortino. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah, that it, makes it's sense. in both directions. You know, so, what's interesting is um, uh, for people who are listening, you know, obviously my podcast is just audio only. So, you know, if, if you find it sometimes a little hard to follow along describing, you know, the, the, the dots and the charts and stuff, the actual course you have obviously has visuals. And yeah, I yeah. find it funny because I, I think one of the, um, the metrics you talk about is like R squared, where you literally talk about you're drawing squares and trying to tell why that is named that way and how it's yep. measured. So it's like, it's very, very clear. Like uh, there's so many metrics you teach in a course and some of them, like I've kind of internalized the the meaning, but then I, I I don't necessarily go back and like even remember like the math derivation, but like you literally yes. go through like each, each variable, how it's done. So like you can get a very deep intuitive understanding of what these are and why they're done a certain way so i think that's yeah. meaningful and also one thing i want to point out is that you don't have to in your day-to-day -day, like measure 20 different metrics but i think no. knowing how each one's measured knowing what your goals are and your trading style and like say what's applicable it helps you kind of get a deeper understanding and you can kind of figure out what which ones are important and which ones you should prioritize and which ones you want to have you know a high sharp ratio or sortino or whatever it is Yes, exactly. And, and that's why it's important to understand how these things are derived, you know, and I'm very visual personally. So that's how I learn best. So therefore that's how, and I think most people are pretty visual too. So yeah, in the course, I, <laughs> I break down things that may look complicated from a math perspective, but I, I literally didn't just draw figures and, and show you how that thing is derived. And by the end of it, you'll have a really clear picture in your head and hopefully a really good understanding of all of these things that we're talking about here without needing to know the math. But it's strange because sometimes now by simply uh, 
trying to represent the picture that you've got in your head of these squares and blah, blah, blah. You can literally write the math formula out, <laughs> which is kind of cool, you know? Um, so yeah, but it uh, there are multiple risk measures. Um, it's important to understand how they're derived so that you then know which one is most applicable for your trading style, similar to what I've just described, right? Um, and there are others, you know, there's, you know, people that are, uh, you know, let's say that you are a um, trying to run a hedge fund or something like that. Well, one of the most common questions that, or issues that you get from people that talk to you is that they're most interested in you outperforming a benchmark, right? Right. If that benchmark might be SPY or the benchmark might be, you know, VBINX or something, which is, you know, 60, 40 split between stocks and bonds or something like that. But that is a question that you're dealing with a lot. Well, if that's the case, then there's another thing called information ratio, right? Which basically is very similar to Sharp, but it's measured against a baseline index, whichever one you choose. Um, so that is a way of saying, you know, of, of literally being able to measure specifically what is your risk-adjusted return beyond that particular index? Are you outperforming that index? And you can literally show that and say, yes, the, mathematically, I can prove it, right? Um, now, all of that said, my favorite <laughs> uh, measure of risk is none of those. And uh, it's it's one that is not, very common, but it's basically called the also performance. Index. I was about to ask you, is it the also ratio? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, without getting into math of that, the the key thing about the also performance index, which is the the acronym is just UPI. Uh, some people call it also ratio. It's sometimes called Martin ratio as well. But basically, I just you know call it UPI. But the key and really cool thing about the UPI is that it's the only risk measure that not only takes every single data point into account similar to, to standard deviation, um, but it also takes time into account. And if you think about that, if you psychologically mm. look at two different strategies and one strategy you know, is up, it's down, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Are you sleeping well at night? Yeah, it's just you know, chopping around, you don't care, right? But if you then have another strategy where imagine that you kind of grab all of the drawdowns and you just front load them, right? You you put them at, at the front and you're in this huge drawdown and you're not back to being squared. Like you're not back to even for like three years. Have you slept well at night? No. Right. <laughs> okay. So if your drawdown lasts for a long time, psychologically, it tends to not be pleasant. Okay. So the the UPI is one of the, the risk, um, uh, the ways of measuring risk-adjusted returns where it basically looks at both things, but it, it's now looking at every single data point and also time. And therefore, by having a good UPI, a good UPI in, implies that you've got a, a strong compound annual growth rate, but this this uh, measure of the also uh, index is uh, small, right? And therefore, the UPI is large. Uh, and, and therefore, what that implies is that you've now got yourself a strategy that has good returns, and then the drawdowns are shallow, and the duration of the drawdowns are relatively short. So one thing that this kind of leads into, you know, all this talk about the different indexes, what's applicable, it basically brings up the topic of like best practices when when backtesting, right? Because there's you know, there's kind of off-the-shelf software available um, for backtesting, and, and there's really good ones now, and they're getting more and more advanced. But something that like, you know, people I've seen back in the day were like, you know, they'll they'll pound through like a hundred back tests and try different strategies, but like the only printout they're looking at is PL and like mm -hmm. maybe max yeah. drawdown. Yeah. Um and like Kager. And then just they, they keep pumping out the strategy until they get one that's like a thousand percent Kager. And like, okay, that's the one. Right. Now yeah. maybe it is that good, but then like you, you don't look at the in between like the max drawdown is one good indicator, but you know, you should really look at the the whole chart, right? How long are you gonna draw down their frequency of drawdowns? And yeah. um Obviously, I think you, you talk about that in the course. And I think one of the tools that you introduce people use is portfolio visualizer because they, they have a lot of things you can look at the charts over time. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that is, um, some of the functionality and, and why you like using portfolio visualizer? Sure. Um, okay, so <laughs> it kind of changed since I launched, launched the course. But um, so portfolio visualizer is a, you know a website or web service that you can uh, use and they do have a free tier 
And uh, the, the reason that I say it changed a bit is because when I launched the course, it was completely free, right? They had no paid tier at all at the time. And uh, afterwards, they kind of decided to um, to change things, which I can explain in, in a little bit. But anyway, so there is still a free tier. And in terms of the, the types of things that it allows you to test is that number one is that it allows you to very, very easily and very quickly, by the way, uh, backtest both well i haven't defined this but anyway i was about to say both strategic and tactical portfolios so we'll get to that in a second that. Well, or you okay. can go ahead and turn that either okay. way All right. yeah. so in very simple terms um as what i call a strategic portfolio is something where you have fixed tickers and fixed allocations per ticker which stays static All right so you know, super simple example. Let's pretend that it's you know sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, right? That's it. So it doesn't change from month to month. You just keep that. Uh, the, you keep trading the same tickers, uh, and you keep trading the same weightings per ticker, and that's it. That's what I call a strategic portfolio. A tactical portfolio, at least by my definition, is one where you're allowing for things to be more adaptive. And you're you're basically, and most of the time you're looking at things like momentum, or you could be looking at volatility as well, but momentum is typically the most common thing that people look at. And the logic there is basically saying, well, instead of me just blindly being 60% in stocks and 40% and in bonds, shouldn't I look to see if they're performing well before I make that decision, right? And uh, and therefore, you're now looking at momentum. So, and now when you look at that, you might say, "Well, heck, uh, maybe USA stocks are not doing well, and uh, international stocks are doing really, really well. So, I'll I'll invest in that instead for now, for this month. And then next month, if things have reverted and now US stocks are outperforming international stocks, then you you now switch and you invest in US stocks. Okay, same thing for bonds. You might be looking at like a bucket of a so-called hedge and uh you might have a few things that you could look at in there there might be bonds but even bonds split between different maturities you know short term medium term long term um you know corporate bonds uh, junk you know whatever you, you could look at in there uh you might also be looking at you know uh, gold and silver and platinum right uh you might be looking at other commodities such as you know um you know oil and and various other things so that is all in the so-called hedge bucket, but by the same token, if uh, if you're doing a tactical um, style strategy, you're saying, well, before I choose, let's look at the bucket of all of the things that I could choose, and now let's look at which one is performing the best. And uh, I'm being loose in that definition because you know it's you have to be very specific about how you measure uh, that. But anyway, but you you basically go into that and choose the best um, performing. Uh, uh, item from that particular bucket and then that's what you trade for the next month right and then once a month you can either change tickers or you can change the weighting of any of the things that you've got in the bucket so that is what i call strategic and tactical so portfolio visualizer has tools that allows you to look at both of those things so um and it's super fast as well it's not something that you gotta you know click on run and wait for you know three hours for it to to spit out the, the thing it it spits it out in seconds, right? It's super, super fast. So, um, and they've got, you know, built-in portfolios for you to explore for, you know, especially for the um, for the strategic stuff. So, you know, a very common one that's out there is the Ray Dalio or weather, uh, you know, there's the golden butterfly, you know, there's a whole bunch of them, you know, with fancy names, um, but they're essentially just static tickers with static allocations. And you can look at the performance. You can then break it down between looking at the drawdowns, which is really important to do. Um, you can look at you know annual performance, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's for strategic. Then for um, your, well, as a matter of fact, you can then, there's a whole bunch of tools to optimize strategic portfolios as well. So you might say, okay, even though I want to have this to be you know very, very simple in the sense that I just want it to be static, uh, I'm actually going to put a bit of extra work in, maybe say once a year. And once a year, you might set, uh, get the system uh, and you, you can again use Portfolio Visualizer to, to do this for you in order to optimize the picking, if you like, of those things based on certain criteria. So you might say, I you know try to maximize the sharp ratio. So you give it a, a list of things. Uh, you say, here are 10 things. 
And out of those 10 things, I want to trade three and give me the three that give me the best Sharpe ratio, remember, which is a measure of risk-adjusted returns, um, and then tell me what those three, three things are and tell me what the weightings should be for each one of those three things. And you press a button and it goes, whoop, there you go. This is that pick, okay? Um, for some other people, they might want to optimize based on Sortino instead of the Sharp. They can do that. Some other people simply want to focus on minimize the max drawdown or minimize the variance or equalize the volatility, a whole pile of different things that you can choose, which the software can do for you. And all of that is all free. Okay. Um, the thing that is now paid, <laughs> unfortunately before it was all free, but what is now paid is that even though you can run essentially back tests for no cost for free, the current, so, and this is not, uh, applicable to strategic, but it is applicable to tactical, right? So in other words, remember what tactical is, is that you're rotating your tickers and your weightings every single month. So what they do with a paid tier is that they show you all of the historical tickers and weightings for whatever strategy you've configured, but they're not going to show you the current one for this month. Okay. So for that, there's, I believe it's $20 that you got to pay per month. Uh, and for that, then they give you access to the current uh, tickers and weightings for whatever portfolio you've chosen. Um, and then you can come in and now use this tools to to essentially help you do your, you know, your wealth building kind of thing every single uh, month. So these 20 minutes per month at the end of each month, you come to Portfolio Visualize and you can use that tool and essentially nothing else um, to help you uh, figure out what the the momentum is for you know picking things based on best sharp ratio or you know whatever it is that you've actually got, and you can go from there, right? Um, and they've got a whole bunch of timing models for the uh, tactical stuff. So you know moving averages, momentum, volatility. They've even got uh, something they call core and satellite, which think of that just as combining two portfolios together. So you've got what you know a common thing to do is that you'll have a core which is based on strategic. So in other words, the core is based on fixed tickers and fixed weightings. Um, but then you can hook up a satellite, which is like, uh, typically is going to be like a momentum style uh, portfolio that you combine with your core portfolio. So you get a blend of the the two, right? They call that core satellite. Um, so, you know, very cool site. Um, again, you, if, you, if you've used any other you know, backtester style tools before, you'll be blown away by how ridiculously fast um, this system is. I, I honestly don't know what they do, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, because with something like with the strategic portfolios, you might may say they simply just, you know, cached all of the lookups everyone's done. So therefore, uh, for the results, I can just pull from the cache instead of having to recalculate everything. But that doesn't make sense then for the momentum uh, strategies, right? Which are, are changing all the time. Even all those momentum strategies are, are, are calculated literally within like two seconds, right? I don't know how they do it that fast. So it's it's pretty cool technology, in my opinion. Again, you can use it for free for backtesting purposes um, and also for strategic portfolios. Um, if you want to use it for tactical and you want to see the current tickers and weightings for that, you will have to pay. Do you remember off the top of your head how much that first tier is? Just to it's see. Tw 20 bucks, I think. Oh, is that a month? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I guess that's that's reasonable and it depends on, you know, what you're getting out of it, right? And how much, you know, asset you're managing or whatever. It, is that something, because I know like, you know, you can throw in like, you know, 10 different sittings to optimize for. Obviously at that point, it gets kind of complex. But if you're doing some kind of basic model, I mean, I, I guess you could just build a spreadsheet and calculate the weightings yourself, right? If, if it's something simplistic that you're doing and you're not, you know, adding sure. too many bills. And yeah, whistles. I mean, but for that, you're going to, have to have some knowledge, right? So like right. most people barely understand what a sharp ratio is, let alone trying to calculate the efficient frontier for, for, the, for the sharp ratio. Yeah, but you know, right. I, I find it interesting because like the, the PI course basically teaches, you know, all this stuff from the ground up, right? And for those yeah. who have been listening so far, like everything we've talked about, those are things that you go over in the course and like a lot of detail, right? And the whole yeah. point of the course is, you know, and, and of course you get into some of the implementation stuff like you, like, but I mean, like the static portfolio, like the Golden Butterfly and the Harry Brown, those are things that people have known. So it's not necessarily anything new. But mm -hmm. what the course is, is more about like, you know, giving the why, like I said, like, why do you want to 
manage your portfolio? Why do you want to understand risk? Like what what's the potential? And then like understanding the risk so you kind of know like the benchmarks to go by and like, okay, how do you measure success? Right. And what really should I what is too risky? You know, and then getting yes. into the, the the different assets and then you know how to blend different, you know, and how to back test and what to look for. So I think like I think anyone who like wants to they get that deep in the first place like intuitively they want to know how things work and so some you know and so building together something simple because when you build stuff yourself like sometimes you get a kind of better understanding as well um can you touch real quickly on dual momentum because uh, that was something that i found kind of interesting like you talked about sure. uh you know the tactical asset which is rotating based on momentum and i think mm -hmm. dual momentum just gives one more kind of threshold but uh, i found that yeah. kind of interesting as well yeah, no, I'm quite a fan of it. So it's it was a system created by a guy called Gary Antonacci, and um, in in you know simple terms, it's really just two things combined, and they make perfectly logical sense. And it's a combination of what he calls relative momentum and absolute momentum. So what what are they? So relative momentum is simply the concept of saying I have these, let's say, five things that I want to look at, and those five things might be I don't know, um, say uh, spy. Uh, which are large cap stocks, uh, say IWM, which are you know medium cap. Um, then you're you're adding some ETFs for say um, the, you know stocks in Japan and stocks in Europe and something else, right? So basically, risk style assets um, that you potentially want to be long, uh, but you don't know which one to pick. So what you're doing is that you're you're basically saying, all right, fine. The simplest way to to look at this is let's look at momentum. And momentum is nothing more than saying, you know, what was the price of this ETF, say, I don't know, six months ago versus what is the price today? And you look at the difference. And if the, the difference between, you know, today versus six months ago is positive, that means this thing has gone up over the last six months. And if it's negative, it means it's gone down. Um, so what you're now doing is that you're saying, all right, let's do that where we're calculating a momentum uh, measure for each one of these five things that I'm look, looking to potentially invest in and simply go for the best one. Now, that needs to be qualified too because it doesn't necessarily mean the best one that is doing well. <laughs> it could actually be the best one that is doing the least bad, if that makes sense, right? right. So if I've got the, the five things and everything is, let's say the, the whole market is, is you know getting pounded, everything's down 20%, but if one of those five things is down, say, 5% instead of 20%, then the thinking is that by being invested in that, when the market does turn, in theory, that one should likely do better than the rest because it's drawn down far less than, than the rest. So it's got less recovery that it needs to, to make before it kind of rebounds. So um, that is the concept of relative momentum. And it's simply a matter of saying, let's find the one that is doing the best or the least bad out of the things that I'm looking at. Um, but then it's put together with this concept of absolute momentum. And what is that? Well, absolute momentum is a concept where you say, I, I like to kind of break it down into two. So the, the, the first thing is the concept of saying, well, if something is doing badly, then I actually don't want to be invested. Right. So, uh, just like the example of relative momentum, picking the least bad one. But if it's if it is been going down for the uh, has been going down for the last you know few months, then I'm simply going to wait right for for it to start performing positively before I want to jump in. So that's one kind of concept of absolute momentum where you, where you say I don't want negative momentum. I want it to actually be doing okay before I jump in, at least showing some kind of positive momentum signal. But when you then look at that. And let's pretend that the positive momentum is, let's be silly, let's just say something very small, like 1%, right? Positive momentum. Um, and then you you take a step back and then you say, well, if I was to, and let's pretend that you're looking to invest over, say, the next three months. And then you look at what a three-month bond would actually pay you in terms of the coupon. And let's pretend that that three-month bond is going to pay you, I don't know, 3%, let's just say. Um, then in that case, in you know, people call that the risk-free rate, right? So bonds are typically considered to not have risk, which is not true, but let's go with that for now. So if you can get a so-called risk-free return of 3% over three months, 
And whereas this ticker that the, the system has chosen is only showing um, a 1% return, then at that point you might say, well, you know what? It makes more sense for me to simply invest in these three-month bonds instead of investing in this so-called risky asset, right? So um, what absolute momentum is, is it basically takes the actual momentum of the ticker, but then it, it subtracts the risk-free rate and then anything that's left over is what the absolute momentum actually is, right? So it's a combination of those two things. So it's relative momentum, which finds the best performer or the least bad performer. And then it combines that with the thing also needing to have absolute momentum, which remember means not just positive momentum, but positive momentum that is bigger than the risk-free rate. And if it's got both of those two things combined, then it allows it to Pass to the finalist list, if you want, if you want to put it that way, right? And then based on, you know, if you go into Portfolio Visualizer, you can basically say, you know, pick the best two, as an example, out of the the five that have both of these qualities within them. So it's a pretty good way to to kind of filter things. Yeah. So basically, you you have a list of assets you want to be invested in, but first pass is which ones are actually beating the risk free freight at the moment. Right, that mm -hmm. cuts out some of them, and then of the remaining ones, which one's the best out of these? And I think you can specify, yes. not necessarily even the the best one. You can select the best two or best three out of of, out of that list. So there's some different yes. parameters you can do. Um, yeah, and you can get fancy too, right? You can get fancy with not just looking at one look back period, but you can have multiple lookbacks, right? So you can say a three month look back, a six month look back, and a twelve month look back, right? And combine those things with different weightings, and you can say, you know, I want to weight the three month look back at say thirty percent. Uh, the uh, the six month look back at another thirty percent, and then you know the the last chunk at whatever percent you actually want. So you can get fancy with the the lookbacks, not just with the the number of tickets that you want to pick for your shortlist as well. Right, right. And um, you know, uh, before we close out, and the thing I want to close with actually the thing I I've been most excited about, um, which and and one thing to point out first is that I think. One reason this course is kind of applicable and easy to approach is uh, because you don't have to necessarily have a lot of capital to apply these concepts, right? What the what the PMTT course, yeah, portfolio margins obviously ideal, right? And that requires yes. some threshold depending on what country you are, what brokerage. And you mentioned you can use span margin on ES, but there's some inefficiencies there. But there's some minimum amount of capital that's not that little. Right, that mm -hmm. you you need to realistically implement, but with with ETFs, right, the the prices can be quite little. So even uh, honestly, even have like five thousand dollars, you could probably implement, you know, these concepts <laughs> or buy one share Look, of, of whatever. My, you know, uh, I've got three boys, right, kids, and uh, well, my oldest one is I guess I can't call, call him a kid anymore, but he's like nineteen now, right? Okay, and um, but he's gone through the course and he's investing his capital in exactly this kind of stuff, right? And um, he's only got like a couple hundred bucks uh, nice. like from, from from his kind of savings. So, uh, and you might say, how the hell could you do that? Well, the the way you do that is um, there are a bunch of brokers out there, including interactive brokers. Oh, fractional shares. That right? do fractional shares, exactly. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that's so, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's I, one thing I find really great about this course, but what I'm excited about and something that I've been kind of pounding the table on myself even before you know this season of my podcast, just the idea of combining and and I used to call it combining passive with active, meaning you know you could buy a, a passive core portfolio, whatever SPY, and trade options on top. Now I've I've kind of dished that because obviously we know I I don't think purely passive is that necessarily that great anymore. But to run something like this, um, where it's a little bit more work, you're not day trading your assets, but you have some kind of tactical portfolio, and you know, I mentioned this before, right? When when you have cash, when you have bonds, when you have ETFs, you know, these are marginable. Right? And I've talked about the difference between stock margin and options margin. When they talk about margin, we're not borrowing any money. Marginable means these assets are um can be collateral for buying power for option strategies, right? And yes. and so the idea that you can run, you know, the PMTT stuff or any option strategy, right? I'm I'm running, you know, my, my put selling and my data engine and all that, combine that with um you know everything you teach in this course and that really helps implement the concepts of the non-correlated strategies right because if you do momentum and then trend following with the underlyings you know there's going to be some 
you know, risk profile, there's some equity curve, but option strategies, depending on how you construct them, especially delta neutral ones, they, they really can just be completely uncorrelated, right? And so, yes. and, and, and I've said like people who, you know, if you don't go crazy and you have realistic expectations, like for me, even 25, 30%, I find is a little high in terms of a target. I mean, just because ultimately, mm-hmm. no matter what you do, it's, it's more reward equals more risk, right? You can't get away from that. But if you're trying to do like 15 to 20%, that really lets you scale back, right? Because if your core portfolio or whatever you're doing, you know, with the dual momentum, like let's say you're only getting something small, like five or six or 7%, and then you trade a couple of different option strategies or like right now, heck, even, you know, T-bills gives you like, you know, almost 5% and option strategies, if you can do something like just even getting like five or six, like you can stack three things of 5% together, <laughs> that's it, that's 15% Kager, right? And like you said, you know, if they're uncorrelated, the drawdowns, of the combined portfolio really may not even be that big. Um, yes. And I know that in, in your form, like you really, the option stuff is complex, so you don't really promote that stuff that much in a PI course, but like, I think ultimately- Not at like, all, actually. For, for, yeah, I, yeah it, but I think that really unlocks the potential, right? And, um, yes. and, and, and I, I've said this before, I think margin, and, and I don't want to say this in a way to mean take risks, but I think margin and this kind of leverage is the actual only quote unquote free lunch because you're essentially running two entirely different portfolios on top of each other with the same capital base. Um, yes. I, I find that really powerful and something that I've been trying to spread, right? And again, I, I don't want people to misconstrue that like, okay, trade big or take a lot of leverage, right? But the fact that you can do different things and do each of them very small, but the the net effect, the stack, this return stacking concept, um, I find that really appealing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's two main things that kind of come together, right? When when you're looking at this, so one of them is that it's kind of hard to explain without being able to draw. But um, let me try. <laughs> and uh, so you know, a lot of your community are you know relatively experienced uh, option traders, so. I'll throw a couple of terms out there. So if you don't get it, then you know I guess ignore it. But <laughs> if you look at something like, say, a broken wing butterfly, it is essentially a, like a triangle style figure, right? If you look at the risk graph, it has two components. It's got a front wing, it's got a back wing. The front wing is a put debit spread, a back wing is a put credit spread. Now, if you just break those two things down, a put debit spread requires debit, as the name implies. So in other words, it requires cash for you to buy that thing. So in the same way that if you want to buy an ETF such as SPY, then uh, you know if one share of SPY is worth 100 bucks, then you need 100 bucks of cash in order to buy that thing. Okay. So if you're looking at put at a put debit spread, a put debit spread has a debit you got to pay, which is essentially the same thing. You need to consume cash in order to buy that thing, in order to buy that front wing. Now the back wing is a put credit spread, and a put credit spread literally brings money into your account at initiation. And I'm being literal there, right? It literally brings money into your account. So if one thing took money out of your account because it's a debit and the other thing put money into your account because it's a credit, those two things essentially cancel out more or less. So on a cash basis, doing that style of trade consumes extremely little cash, okay? Now, there's no free ride because what happens from the broker perspective is that in order to control the risk from their side, they require margin. So in other words, they require some kind of collateral behind that thing, but not cash necessarily. It could be cash, but it could be anything else of value, including stocks and ETFs that you're already invested in. They actually have real value and they can absolutely be used as collateral or margin for the option trades you actually want to do, right? So the key thing there is to understand that for certain types of trading styles of which do fall into line typically with well with a lot of the core trades that we do in the PMTT community. They require very little cash. They require margin, but not cash. So uh, on the flip side of that, if you're now looking at a portfolio investing concept, that is the opposite. Because whenever if you want to be invested in stuff, you have to use your cash to buy those things. So let's pretend that you go in. And you start off with a portfolio investing course, which I would recommend. So for anyone that is looking to, you know, get in through to my community and then not sure really what to do, starting off with portfolio investing course, I think is a, you know, really, really good 
first step. Uh, and then from there, you can you know move on through the other more advanced courses like PMTT and whatever. But you start off with portfolio investing, and now you've learned how to either strategic or tactically now um, invest in through to all of these different strategies, right? So you get these uncorrelated returns and all that kind of stuff that we've talked about. But you've now consumed your cash, right? Because you've bought all these things. and But you might leave it a buffer. So you might leave, say, I don't know, 20, 25% in cash sitting there, but you've invested the the rest. You've bought things of value, right? Which are your, your ETFs. So now you're in a situation that if you now want to do option trading, instead of having to have your option trading funds in a separate account, now what can happen is that you can tally on through to or tack on through to the same the same physical account that you were doing the portfolio investing in because now what's happening is that like i said your option trades at least the core ones that we do do not require cash or very little cash anyway they consume margin so now by combining those two things together uh, the buffer that you left the you know 25% or so uh, of cash that you can tap into that for the times that you actually do have to have option trades that do consume cash overall. Um, but other than that, uh, your option trades are going to consume margin. And for that, you can tap into the entire account, not just the cash portion, but also the invested portion, which is all of the stuff that you've been purchasing ETFs with. That can be used as collateral. So if you're now in a situation that your option trades are giving you, let's say, 20% a year, right? Which is like the target that we tend to focus on within my community as well. I do have people that do, <laughs> this is a better than that, right? But I won't, I don't like talking about those numbers, but let's just say you've got your target of 20%, uh, which I think is a, is a, you know, perfectly acceptable and achievable uh, goal and, and a very good one, right? Compared to most hedge funds are going to on average pull maybe five or 6% a year. If you're doing 20%, you're absolutely killing them, right? So 20% is a really good target to kind of have. So, and let's pretend that you're achieving that. So with your option trade, you're doing 20% a year. But if you're now in a situation that with the same accounts, having diversified out, right? So that you, you've got a nice conservative risk adjusted return. Let's pretend that you can now pull 8% over the long term, right? Yes, you will have years like 2022, which, you know, are not good, uh, but they're outliers, okay? Um, Overall, over the long term, let's pretend that you're doing eight percent, and you might think, okay, that's hopefully a, a pretty, you know, reasonable conservative return, right? It's going to have relatively shallow drawdowns if you are diversified well. Um, but that that's a huge difference, right? You've basically gone from twenty percent to twenty eight percent with the same account, right? You've almost, you know, increased your your uh, performance if you want uh, your overall performance by almost fifty percent going from 20 to 28, that's a massive jump, right? And without having to add a lot of extra risk, because you might say, well, I'm double dipping into the same account. Isn't that adding a lot of risk? Well, to a degree, yes. But if you've done it in a conservative way, like I teach in the portfolio investing course, right? You're going to set up that account not to be, you know, using futures to do crypto, uh, right? Which is you know, massively volatile, right? They're all very conservative strategies, right? We're not looking to hit, 20 or 30% returns a year. We're looking to just have a conservative, say, you know, eight to 10% return a year, perfectly happy with that. But then when you combine that with options, you're now taking a 20% to return to almost 30% return. And that's a huge jump. You know, um, one thing I want to point out as well is you're not just doing this without a lot of addition to risk. You're not doing it with a lot of addition of time either, because like you yeah. said, you can literally spend, you know, 20 minutes uh, a month or whatever it was that you said, but, yeah. um, and, and that brings me back to, you know, you mentioned your favorite measure of risk is the ulcer index, right? And, um, uh, yeah. my favorite measure of performance, which is not one that's quoted and that's not a real one, but I call it return on time, right? right. Because like, uh, I, I think the idea of high touch strategies and the fact, and I, I had another term, I call it actively passive investing, right? It's, it's almost passive, like how little time you spend, but you're still doing something right. And so, yeah. Um, sometimes there's this dichotomy between passive investing, which is doing nothing but buy and hold versus being a full-fledged day trader, right? And yeah. I think people uh, seem to think that you can only be one or the other, 
but that's completely not the case, right? Or, or actually, if anything, mm-hmm. I, I would say be more on leaning towards the passive end of the spectrum, right? Just a little bit more effort, but you really get that yeah. like there's a lot of value add that you can achieve, you know, um, through you know, obviously, I think most of the time spent is really just getting through your course <laughs> because there's so long, right? Uh, the portfolio investing one is is not too bad, but I think you, if you put that effort up front to learn. But then you can kind of yeah. that the implementation really is not that hard or that time consuming. So there's a lot of yes. potential you can unlock. Um, and so yeah. that's what and I think your recommendation of starting with the PI course makes sense because again, even though um, you know those concepts have nothing to do with options per se, but all of those foundational ideas and concepts of, of the diverse management and how to measure risk and performance, those will totally apply. If you want to trade anything, options, combine them and be sustainable and long term. So yes, I, I think yes. it makes a lot of sense to, to go in that order, yeah. actually. Um, and you'll, you know, most people um, will get to the point that, all right, so for your so-called primary account, if you want to call it that, you'll, by the end of, on the assumption that you've done both courses, both portfolio investing and the options course, um, you'll be stacking those two things together, right? So you'll be both invested in multiple ETFs with multiple strategies and and so on. Uh, And at the same time, you'll have your option trades on top of that same account. But on top of that, you'll likely also have retirement accounts, right? Roths, IRAs, 401ks, whatever that might be. And you can now manage those using just your portfolio investing strategies, the exact same thing. So uh, And that can be made easy too. So for example, with um, certain brokers, uh, even like TDA and, and IB, um, you can set up a, like, like a master account and you do things once and it then applies that config on through to multiple sub-accounts underneath okay. by, by using percentages without even having to get down to exact dollar figures, right? So at the end of the month, when you're doing your 20 minutes uh, to 30 minute kind of um, you know rebalancing for all the portfolio investing stuff, you don't even have to do it once per account. You can just go to your master account once and say, apply it onto my primary account, onto my my 401k, onto my Roth, onto my IRA. Click, done. Yeah, I didn't even know that. That, that That's cool. Basically, like you're, you're, you're making your own model portfolio, basically, and pushing that out through through all the sub-accounts. No, that's neat. Um, yeah. But anyways, Ron, this has been really a pleasure as always. You know, I appreciate you coming on to to share about, you know, take your time to to go through the concepts. Um I'm gonna link uh like last time the trading dominion page and then I guess there's a web page specifically for the PI course. Last time there are you still doing the the discount code? I had the one that was like 10% for people who used it. I think it was the refer yeah, your, your discount code will still work. Yeah. That's okay. Fine. Okay. I'll link that yeah. on here as well. But yeah again Ron, thank thank you so much, and uh, you know, glad to have you on as our as our first repeat guest. But I'm um, <laughs> looking forward to seeing more of what you come out with in the future. All right, sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, see ya. See you later.